Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. A very talented writer is somebody that we've known as a very skilled attorney for a long time. He has had a very interesting life journey, and now everybody is talking about his story. Newspapers are writing about it. And uh, the book that he's written about his experience is being talked about all over the place. Spencer Schneider is an attorney, a marathon runner, a survivor of something called school, and the author of the new book, Manhattan Cult Story, kind enough to join us in studio. Spencer, it's great to see you. Happy to be here, Frank. Thank you for having me. So, Spencer, if people didn't hear our previous conversation, you're a very intelligent guy. You're a a very accomplished lawyer. Uh, You seemed like you had a uh, a, a very sound upbringing. How does someone like you get involved in a cult? Well, my story is pretty simple in that I met someone who was like me, you know, similar age, Similar background, seemed intelligent, went to good schools and whatnot, and, um, you know, befriended me and asked me to come to a meeting of something, which didn't sound like a big deal to me. So I went. And so what, what did you think the meeting was that you were going to? Yeah. He said it was an esoteric school um, where you studied philosophy and it could be helpful to your life. And frankly, it sounded a little strange, but not so weird that I wouldn't check it out once. And... What did you find when you got there? So it was – first of all, it was all very secretive, okay? He, I couldn't tell anybody about it. He didn't tell me where we were going, which was a little strange. But basically it was a room with 60 people very much like me, same you know, background and whatnot. Um, and we were talking about uh, the fourth-way philosophy, which are these Russian mystics who have this uh, whole philosophy. And you found it impressive enough to keep going to future meetings. I wasn't blown away by it, really. I just thought it was okay. But I promised him I would go for a month. And I figured, you know, two weeks and two nights a week, I would go to classes. And it was free. So I went. But I had a crisis that month. Lost my job. Mm. And the group was very supportive. You know, people were really, really nice in a way that most people aren't. And then from there, when did you um, – how long were you involved with this? This is school, yeah. right? How yeah. long were you involved with school? 23 years. 23 years? Yeah. When did you realize that th- this was something problematic yeah. in your life? So it's a scam. You know, it's a total scam. So you don't re- – they, they purposely hide what they are. You don't know that – you you don't join a cult. Right. You know, you're just joining a group. And – 
over time, it slowly got more and more demanding. They're asking for you to spend more time, more money. You're helping to recruit people. And honestly, it wasn't until I left that I, was, I put the cult word to it because it just seemed like a demanding group. You know? Now, when you say um, more money, you mentioned this first meeting that you went to was free, right. a group of folks that's supportive of you when you're going through a tough time. When does the money get involved? When do you start giving money to this group? Right. So it was uh, – we were giving – I gave money the first month. Uh, the second month, it was like $300 a month. Not a small amount of money, but not enough to really dent my wallet. But over the years, it increased, and they had – different charges for different things, and there were 300 people in it in New York. Wow. So if all of them are giving $300 a month, they're doing really well. Yeah. Wow. And what would they do with this money? Okay. So I figured it out. It was over a million dollars in cash Mm. plus the woman. A year annually. Oh, yeah. Um, And again, it was all cash. You know, at a certain point, some people paid checks, but it was mostly cash. You know, um, I'm not responsible for people paying their taxes or mm-hmm. not, but it definitely raised a red flag, right? Um, uh, what did they do with it? The woman who ran the cult, Sharon Gans, had a huge real estate empire. She lived in the Plaza Hotel when she died. Um, she had a ranch in Montana, a place in, Mon- uh, in Mexico City, the Hamptons, all over the place, and lived a very lavish lifestyle. Obviously, you're not totally cut off from the rest of society when you're involved with this group uh, school. When you would read about about cults and things of that nature, did you ever say, well, I mean, this sounds problematic and maybe something like what I'm involved in? Yeah. So I absolutely it crossed my mind at the beginning. But once you're in it, it never really crossed my mind, except that I mean, look. There was nobody there, you know, chanting. There were nobody in robes. There was no... Uh, no passing out poison Kool-Aid like exactly. the Heaven's Gate cult. Right. Exactly. So none of the traditional earmarks of a cult, like any of those crazy things, David Koresh, none of that happened. So what's the harm then? No, let's say nobody's advocating for you guys all to kill yourself or to stage a violent takeover of the government. A group of people, maybe the leadership is misappropriating funds, but we've seen that with a lot of labor unions, a lot of churches, a lot of charities, a lot of nonprofit institutions, a lot of political parties. Uh, If people are getting some benefit and getting some solace and getting comfort from others when they're having a difficult time, what's the harm in groups like school? Okay, so you're 100% right. If people are getting solace and comfort – uh, you know, people say, oh, religions are cults, right? I don't think so. People get comfort and solace, and they're not exploited. The main earmark, I think, and we were not given comfort. It, initially, it felt good, but we were mostly exploited. Money, labor, and terrible things happened to people. I mean, there was a lot of uh, physical abuse, sexual abuse, and arranged marriages, crazy adoptions that were uh, arranged between uh, couples, um, uh, there was couple swapping, and there were uh, rape. There was rape, you know, of, of women, which not was not something I knew about, and it happened before my time. But um, uh, this is a group that conducted this for years and years. So to get back to your question, the hallmark I think is exploitation, and somebody is profiting a lot. So other than the three hundred bucks a month that you would fork over, how were you exploited? 
Yeah. So, uh, you know, again, I didn't really miss it that much, but my story was really about um, the psychological abuse. And, uh, you know, the marriage that I had was, you know, arranged. And um, to uh, another cult member. To another cult member. Somebody who I liked very much. Um, but and how does the cult benefit from that? I guess it keeps you both in that. Exactly. We're both in it, and a lot of people were married. So we're both in it. We stay in there, and it's, more, it's better for business. I mean, most things went to more money and more power, which is what this uh, cult leader liked. So, I, I, I mean, I, by the end of my time in the group, uh, at the end of 23 years, I was, you know, having suicidal ideations. I was very depressed, and um, I was a wreck. I know of dozens of people who've suffered a lot and won't talk about it. I mean, people are tra- traumatized. And what became of your wife? Um, well, we got divorced before I left. Um, uh, but, you know, she's totally fine. Um, and I, we have a son who's wonderful. And Is she, is she um, also out of this uh, cult world? I, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Um, because, again... When people are in it, it's very secretive, and people aren't saying what they're doing. Well, you've been very visible in your criticism. I, I mean, I imagine she's seen, you know, some of the news coverage, for instance. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm sure she has. But I, I also think people look away from it if they're involved and and whatnot. But I wanted to make a point. Um, I'm the only person who's spoken about it, and I want to help other people, and I want to, you know, tell the story because I'd like them to stop, mm. but they haven't stopped. So there's something – there's a group you were quoted in the New York Post and, uh, and actually uh, maybe it was the Daily Mail talking about the Odyssey study group. Right. What is the Odyssey study group and what's their similarity and comparison to the cult that you were a part of school? Okay. So the Odyssey study group is actually school. That's their sort of legal name that they use on their bank accounts and mm-hmm. whatnot. But we never really referred to it as Odyssey study group. But it's the same – exact group that was started by Sharon Gans and Alex Horn back in San Francisco in the uh, late 70s. And there was a, a was a report in one of the papers a couple of weeks ago that Odyssey Study Group actually bought this $925,000 massive retreat upstate and uses essentially slave labor to dig ditches and do other work on it. What is this property? What goes on there? And uh, uh, how long has it been, you know, part of Odyssey Study Group, as you know? Yeah, so I haven't been um, – I, I wasn't involved with that property. It was purchased last year after Sharon Gans died, and I left 10 years ago. However, I have seen pictures of it, and I have heard, you know, from people who have been there is that they basically take people um, from the city. They don't tell them where they're going, and they go up to this property, and they're they're basically building it out. I believe one of the leaders – uh, uh, lives there, and um, it's a way for them to charge more money and to get free labor. Hmm. You know? uh, so Sharon Gans is not there anymore. As no. the, she died, she died uh, last January. So, do you have an understanding of who's heading things now? Yeah, there are four people who Sharon Gans willed Odyssey Study Group to. So they own this uh, entity that collects the money. And uh, they have – one of them has a direct involvement with the uh, Margaretsville property. Wow. Uh, yeah. And how did you get out? What was your story of getting out yeah. of this group? So, look, I, like I said, I mean I was very depressed. I was having a rough time. I lost – you know, my marriage ended, and I had business involvement with someone 
who was also in the cult. And that was sort of falling apart. The only reason I stayed in the group for, I'd say, about 10 years was because I had this marriage and I had this business relationship. And if I left the group, I'm sorry, if I, if I, if I left the group, exactly, if I left the group, um, those relationships would have had to end. And mm. I didn't want them to end. Um, what is... So if this if Odyssey study group still exists and presumably they're still uh, pilfering money in the same manner and exploiting individuals in the same manner, what is law enforcement doing to put a stop to this? Whether it's this group or other similar groups, what are what are police agencies around the state, around the country doing? Well, I mean, first of all, they're in New York. Okay, Um, I I believe a lot can be done, you know, uh, there's definitely crimes taking taking you know money from people um, under false pretenses. Um, I have questions about you know as I lay out in my book. I've heard stories. Um, uh, I've spoken to people who've been involved in money laundering there. Um, I have seen some of the books and records from uh, former members where they're showing some people paying cash, some people paying checks on mm. two sets of books. Definitely a, a red flag. And also you know there's the crime of forced labor. So, you know, hopefully somebody will pick this up um, and that's, you know, would be helpful. I, I don't want to see other people going through what I went mm. through. If people are just tuning in, we're talking with Spencer Schneider. He writes about his whole story in the new book, Manhattan Cult Story. Spencer, as you say, you didn't know you were going to a, a cult meeting. How does someone know if a group that they're associating with is a cult? Right. So it, it's a hard to figure out. It's just like it's hard to figure out you're being taken. You know, that's why um, they're they're good. But here's the here's the hallmark. If you are paying money to something um, or giving your time and it's excessive in, in, in and they're promising you a lot, that's a pretty good guess that uh, you're being taken into something. If they're promising you something. Nobody else promises. That's also a big question mark. What if a loved one, a uh, sibling, an uncle, a parent, a child, cousin, whatever, a loved one, boyfriend, girlfriend, is involved in one of these groups and you're certain that the group that uh, you know my sister is involved with is a, some sort of a cult – and they don't want to acknowledge that that's a cult. What do you do then? Yeah, that's tough. Um, I, 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 the thing, the most important thing to do is to not lose touch with this person, to make, to not argue with them, but to make sure that you're available for them. Because when you're in a cult, you're told, and they're very effective at this, to not engage with your family and friends because they're your enemies. So they flip it. So if you could disprove that by being even more loving and being more there, once things fall apart, they'll come back to you. That's such an important point because I I think it might be counterintuitive for a lot of folks who um, might be, you know, likely to want to turn to something like tough love and and be adversarial and, and smack them in the face and say, don't you see what's going on here? You're saying take the exact opposite approach. Be nicer. Exactly. Prove that they're wrong. 
Now, um, why are you choosing to speak out now? I, I mean, I could definitely see maybe some blowback uh, to you professionally or reputation-wise. I, th- I love what you're doing, but I would imagine that there have been those that have cautioned you not to be so vocal using your, your name and your identity, putting yourself out there in, like, like in such a manner. Why are you doing that? I'm flipping it, too. I think it's gonna. I think it's good. I mean, I I'm not doing it so much for myself. Um, I just felt that the story needed to be told for other people to hear it. And contrary to what uh, you know, other former members have, have have believed, I have found nothing but understanding from people. My clients love it. I mean, they they respect me. Um, and Are you a criminal lawyer. Well, I do some criminal lawyer, but I also do corporate civil mm-hmm. work. But I've done it. That's because I, I, we heard, we were talking about sure. you were talking about this earlier, and I had some views on it. But the the um, uh, the other thing is, I really want to help people who are involved in this because I've been meeting people who've left the group and they're young and they have their whole lives ahead of them and they're being duped. Uh, have you since coming out with this book and being so vocal? Have you had opportunities to talk with other people that have escaped either this group or other similar cults, and have their experiences been similar to yours? Yeah, I get a lot of uh, you know emails, texts from people who have been in other groups and saying, "Wow, that's exactly what happened to me. That's how I got pulled into something like this." Very helpful because I talk about the recovery, but. Um, I've talked to a number of people who've been in this group um, and gotten out recently, and the same techniques that my group used to get me in, they're still using 30 years later. Well, how prevalent do you think cults are? I mean, you're, this is just one city in one state in one country. How prevalent does this uh, go? You know, I I heard a statistic that – you know, some, something like 20, 30 percent of people have been involved in some way or have been touched by it, by cults, in, in that they've been in or somebody they've known have been in groups, maybe not as extreme as, you know, mine, but there are these multi-level marketing groups. Uh, Nexium, Nexium had, you know, thousands of people. Well, I, ju- I was just going to ask you about that. Yeah. So uh, the Nexium was described in the papers as a, sort of a, a sex cult uh, did you look at the Nexium case and say, "Oh, you know, that sounds like a lot what we were going through"? If people haven't followed the Nexium story, what what was Nexium or what is Nexium? Yeah, so Nexium was um, a uh, it was basically heralded as a, as a method whereby people could improve their lives, and it's known as a multi level marketing uh, situation where people basically take classes. And then they have to take more classes and more classes until they're finally spending all their income on these classes to improve their lives. And they also have to bring in other people. There are a lot of other multi-level marketing uh, opportunities that aren't cultish, right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Amway is is one, right? Right. People have said that is, but I I, I don't know specifically. I don't think – I think it's legitimate. Uh But people have complained. I mean, people say – Soul cycle is a cult. I mean, because mm. people are so fanatical about it. But that's well, not that, a cult. that's the thing is, you know, you th- throwing that cult word around. You know, it seems like Nexium is one thing, and then we use the the word cult to describe anybody that's uh, enthusiastic about adherence to something. Yeah, no, I mean, there's certainly overlap. I mean, fanaticism is you know is out there, 
it exists, but that's not necessarily a cult. And people aren't necessarily, you know, lose all of their um, abilities to use rational thought. I mean, I, you know, sports fans, I'm a fanatic about certain things. Sure, right. I mean, we all are. Right. We're passionate. Uh, you know, one of the groups that often gets compared to a cult, including by some former members, is Scientology. Right. Have you looked at Scientology at all? And what, what's your take on Scientology? Yeah. I mean, I read Leia Romini's book, which is excellent. And from what she describes, if what she's saying is true, I mean, they're a cult. Uh, they fit all the mm. hallmarks. Charismatic leader. A lot of people who left are unhappy. I mean, you don't hear any people who left that group who say, oh, it was good. I really helped me a lot. You don't hear that. You have said that uh, Odyssey Study Group went out of their way to sort of target influential and well-to-do people, right? Yeah. And it would seem like maybe Scientology, at least if what you, what you hear from people like Leah Remini has said, um, they may uh, employ some of the same tactics. Yeah. I mean, people th- – th- these groups also t- go after people who are um, inquisitive and want to think. And, uh, you know, it's more than just, you know, sort of kind of devil worship or something like sure. that, you know. So there could be some positive things involved in a cult-like setting, whether it's, you know, Nexium or Scientology or Odyssey Study Group or anything like that. Yeah. It's not all forced labor and exactly. forced marriages and forced adoptions. Right. Uh, if it were, nobody would stay. I mean, right. there has to be some good reason. In fact— that was one of the hardest things about writing the book was to figure out, well, why did I stay? Mm. You know, what was good about it? What did I find there? Um, and what did you come up with? Yeah, a lot. Um, well, there was this community, this camaraderie with other people. We thought we were doing something important. And I liked, you know, I had missed the intellectual aspects of it. I mean, going to work is, you know, it's the same thing, mm. you know. But this, I was studying something different, and I thought it was helping me. Um, I mean, look, people love to go to book clubs or sure no 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 absolutely that that 's why I, I wonder at what point do you uh, do you think that uh, something get, crosses <laughs> that line? Uh, you mentioned your son now obviously you and your ex wife were both part of this Odyssey study group when you got married is there how old is your son he 's twenty three Is there any concern that he you know might get involved in something like this no they didn 't i mean this group does not target children, although they did have some uh, you know um, indirect involvement in knowing Sharon Gans. but you know i i don 't have any worries about him joining anything that 's great if people have questions if they want to get in touch with you uh, to either discuss your book or if they have similarly individual ta- individually tailored cult like questions what 's the best way for them to get in well, touch well i with you? I have a website it 's spencer hyphen schneider or you can email me at spencer three thousand at gmail dot com great spencer three thousand at gmail dot com Spencer thank you for coming in studio it 's great to see you. Uh, please keep us posted on this, and uh, you're welcome anytime. Oh, great. Love to be here. Thank you. Spencer yeah. Schneider.